So the, the series is called, How Do I Know? And a lot of times when people hear the phrase, how do I know, the next thing they say is what? How do I know what? But the key really isn't to know what, the key is to know why. Because when you know your why, you have options on what your what can be. For instance, my why is to inspire people to walk in purpose. My what is stand-up comedy. My what is writing books. My what can be going out with some friends to eat. In fact, another what that has moved me towards my why is a, a web series that we have out now called Break Time. So every Wednesday at 3 o'clock, you should subscribe to the, to the channel. Uh, we do a series called Break Time on YouTube. So 3 o'clock, we drop a new episode. One episode in particular I'm about to show you a clip to. We were in, uh, we were in Winston-Salem. So Break Time, this is how it works. I travel the country, I do stand-up comedy, probably an hour, hour and a half at an event. And in the middle of my show, I'll just sit down and start talking to the audience. And funny just happens. Or I'll meet somebody who's really interesting. So I met this one guy, and he said that he teaches music at a school. I was like, all right, you teach music, you know, um, can you sing? And then uh, I'm just going to show you the clip. Check it. So you're a musical director. Yes, sir. Ooh. All right, so um, let me get a couple. Let me get a couple bars of like uh, "Amazing Grace." Can you do the first part of that? Let me, go ahead. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Wow, that bro could sing. You know what I'm saying? All right, all right. Uh, now, once you give me the version, is if uh, your uncle just got out of jail, you got shot in the back when you was a kid. I'm just saying, let me see the hood version real quick. If you know the version I'm talking about, just see if that exists. Let me see what you got. Amazing grace. Here's the thing. The first time I asked him to sing, he knew what he was doing. The second time I asked him to sing, he knew why he was doing it. When you know your why, your what has more impact because you're walking in or towards your purpose. You know, many of us Ooh. Many of us can and do live our lives without ever discovering what our purpose and our why is. 
a lot of us might not even know how to find that. Or we might be afraid to find out what that is because it may take us in directions that we're not sure we want to go. Nevertheless, without our purpose defined, our what falls flat. And when our what falls flat, the world won't be able to tell us tell the difference between us and anybody else. The journey to discover our purpose, our why, I believe is by pursuing the heart of the Father. And when we know what the heart of the Father is, we will discover that why. And when we discover that why, our what will make a difference. Not only in our community, but in our families, in our church, in everywhere that we connect. And so what I want to do is, uh, my name's Mark, and I'm, I'm honored to be able to be up here today and share with you. Uh, would you pray with me? Lord God, I pray more than anything that with every ounce of who we are that we will pursue you. That we will seek to know and understand your heart so that we can live out our journeys the way that you envisioned us to. I ask that you, your spirit move powerfully in here this morning and that we can glorify you with our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. So this morning I have a very short passage that just has a lot of power behind it. And we're, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5, just 12 and 13. It'll be up on the screen. It should be up on the screen. Uh, you can look in your Bibles or on your phones or devices. Hear the word of the Lord. While Jesus was in one of the towns a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged, Lord, if you were willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately his leprosy left him. At that time, if you were a leper, you were outcast. You were pushed away from all of society. You, could, you weren't allowed to be around your kids, your family, your friends, your community, unless they had leprosy as well. And this particular man decides to venture not only where Jesus was, but into a city, into a town where Jesus was. And Part of that was that if he had to go someplace, he had to show by the way he was dressed and by how he acted that he was unclean socially and spiritually, religiously. And so oftentimes that meant that he had to yell at the top of his lungs, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, <clears throat> so that people could avoid him. What a horrible way to live a life. But this man was determined. And he knew that he was violating all the boundaries and laws that existed. And, and it was actually putting his life at stake. But he comes to the city where Jesus is. And the scripture says that he was full of leprosy. So I can imagine that it was very evident of what his skin looked like and what the disease looked like. Obviously, this leper 
had heard about Jesus, had known about his miracles and had known about his teaching because he knew enough to know that Jesus was the solution. And so he approaches Jesus. And, you know, there had to be a crowd. There was always a crowd around Jesus. And I can imagine how, as he's approaching and coming in and they're noticing him, how the murmuring started. And people were shocked, or maybe they were afraid because they didn't want to become unclean. How maybe they were even angry and agitated that this man came into their midst. But he was determined to seek his healing. And he comes up to Jesus, and it says that he falls on his face and he begs Jesus, Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now notice he's not saying, Jesus, I don't know if you can do this, but can you get rid of this stuff on me? He's already, he already believes that Jesus will heal, that can heal him. It's a matter of whether Jesus was willing. And so he falls down and he begs Jesus, can you heal me? And what he's asking is, can you take away this, this rottenness of my skin? Can you take away this, this physical thing that has cost me to be outcast from everything I know? And if we look at the passage, though, Jesus does one of the most amazing things in the world to me. He doesn't answer him first. He reaches out and he touches him. And when he, Jesus touches him, he is communicating with his actions how much he is willing. Because Jesus goes beyond the law, goes beyond the rules and the boundaries. And in that moment, he heals the most inner need that this person had. He heals him in here. He brings him to a wholeness. He takes away the separation, the rejection, the isolation, the abandonment, the scorn and the judgment. In that moment that Jesus touches him, he brings him back into relationship. There's no longer a barrier between the leper and Jesus. There's no longer a barrier between the leper and the community. He brought him back from his banishment. But then Jesus does more than that, doesn't he? Because he also heals what the leper was asking for. He takes away the leprosy. So not only does Jesus heal that inner side and transform the man on the inside, but he takes care of the outside as well. You see... Jesus knew the why of the leper. He knew that the leper would be a testimony of Jesus' teachings and presence in the world. He knew that the leper would point the way towards Jesus and ultimately towards God. And so God's plan would be furthered. The leper's what now had purpose, and he would become a mouthpiece for furthering God's kingdom. I want to suggest that in this passage we can find four very fundamental truths about the heart of God. The first is the most fundamental, and it runs throughout Scripture, and we find it, if we go to Genesis 6, we find that Jesus, or God is talking to Noah, and he's saying, I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come in the ark, you, your sons, your wife, 
and your son's wives with you. And in Genesis 17, he's talking to Abraham and he says, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. The covenantal relationship that was established is a powerful foundation for what we believe. And we can kind of glean four things from here. The first is, he didn't offer Noah and Abraham a choice. He basically said, I'm your God. You're my people. He established it based on God's actions, not on our actions. God has already chosen to love each and every one of us, to love us no matter what goes on in our lives. Second thing is that God did desire and commanded a response. Now, we didn't always in history respond. We don't always in our lives respond to God. But that has never changed the love that God has for us. The third thing we see in in the covenant is that while the covenant is not conditional, the potential benefits and blessings are are definitely conditional. If we follow and step into God's way and follow his heart, he has told us throughout scripture that we will be blessed and that things will happen, good things will be in our life. But if we choose to go the other way, then we will miss out on some of what God has for us. And the final thing we can see from the covenant is that it includes all the generations going forward. That includes all of us here. That that covenant that was started was to be an everlasting covenant. We love because God loved us first. We are able to love one another because of the love that God has poured into us going all the way back to the beginning of Scripture. That is our foundation. Now, when God established this covenant, he all along wanted it to be more than just a unilateral, one-way relationship. That's why he continued to come back and call his people back to him. That's why he convicts our hearts and challenges us to keep coming back to him. He wants it to be a bilateral relationship, something that is reciprocal and mutual. So when I look at this this foundation, the covenant is all about learning to deeply realize and accept the love of God that God has for us. How that love reaches even to the darkest corners of our hearts. How that love cannot be thwarted or disconnected. But it is also about us learning how to love God with all of our mind, our heart, our strength, and our soul. To love and be loved is what the covenant is about. Are we there? Can I allow God to deeply love me in every aspect of my heart? And can I love him with all that I am? The second truth that comes out of this passage is about grace. This man broke the law. 
coming to Jesus. This man violated the principles. And Jesus still goes right past that and connects with him. Grace is about to forgive and be forgiven. And this is a central part. It's a little hard to separate grace from covenant because the nature of covenant is grace, isn't it? To be loved even when we fail. And, but this aspect of grace is the relational part of our relationship with God because we're called to be in that gracious relationship. We are, we are meant to live in an atmosphere of grace, not in an atmosphere of law. If we live by the law, it's rigid and it's cold and it's judgmental. Okay? If we live by grace, there's still accountability and responsibility, but there's forgiveness and there's reconciliation. So, the, the thing that we have to realize is though we cannot fulfill the law because of our sinful natures, Christ made that possible that we can be bonded with God and all it takes is faith. This leper had faith that Jesus could heal him. And he put everything in his life on the line in order to go there and get that healing. The third aspect that we find is empowering. And empowering is about to serve and be served. And all we have to do is look at the life of Christ and we can see this amazing servant who ministered to person after person, who, who reached not just at what the surface was, but like in this case, he met the inner need first by healing his soul, by healing and bringing him back into relationship. Now, our, our culture tends to distort what power is. But this is what empowering is. Empowering is the process of helping another recognize strengths and potential within. It is encouraging and guiding the development of those qualities. It is affirming somebody so that their abilities to learn and grow and become all that he or she is or can be. And when I see that as we invest ourselves in pursuing God, that is exactly what God can do and does in us. The more we pursue him, the more that we become more of what he intended us to be. You see, when Jesus touched that man, he took away his powerlessness. And he restored him to a whole person again. The other aspect of empowering is being able to see the uniqueness of God's design. Being able to embrace the uniqueness. Just the same as we are all different, unique people in this congregation with different gifts and different abilities and different purposes, as we support one another in growing who God intended us to be, that gets all embraced and we can empower one another. But we can do that only if we realize what God is doing in our lives. If, co- <coughs> excuse me, if covenant is the love commitment and grace is the underlying atmosphere of the acceptance 
then empowering is the action of God in our lives. In John 10.10, it says, I have come that they may have life and may have it to the fullest. Empowering is love in action. It's the what of our relationship with God in so many ways. And the Holy Spirit was given so that we can experience that. The fourth fundamental thing about pursuing God that comes out of this passage is intimacy. One of the major themes that runs throughout the Bible is that God wants to know us and he wants to be known by us. That we are encouraged to share our deepest thoughts and feelings through prayer. We are told that the Holy Spirit dwells within us and that God understands the very groaning within us even if we can't speak the words. But today, however, shame is born out of fear of being known intimately. And when shame is present, we usually put on a mask and begin to play deceptive roles with one another and with God. When we've embraced a relationship that is based on the covenant and on the lives and live our lives with an atmosphere of grace and empowering, then that ability to know and be known becomes much easier. When I realize the grace and the promises that God has given and the commitment he has in my life to be there for me, it makes it easier to be vulnerable to God. And as relationships around us offer that love unconditionally to each other, then that security is there where we can trust more deeply and grow. So I've suggested four things. I've suggested that commitment is to be based on a mature, unconditional, bilateral covenant. That we make that a a two-way street with God. I also suggested that our relationship with the Father is to be established and maintained within an atmosphere of grace that embraces acceptance and forgiveness. That the resources for our relationship with God are to be used to empower rather than to control or tear down. And that intimacy is based on knowing one another that leads to caring and understanding, communication and communion with others and with God. And all of these four things, as I look at how we pursue God, all four qualities are very intertwined. One leads into the other and one sparks the other and they each feed off each other to help it go deeper and deeper. Living in covenant love is a dynamic process. It's an ever-changing process. The journey with God, if we pursue him with everything that we have, can be immensely deep. But we have barriers, don't we? Sometimes our barriers are that we carry wounds inside of us that we have not let healed or that we don't know how to heal. And so they kind of keep us in our pain. Sometimes we have guilt and shame and they paralyze us and make it feel like we can't move and we can't get out of the the suffering that we're in in order to reach towards God. 
Or maybe we believe that God won't take it away. Sometimes we have anger and bitterness, and we put up walls and we harden our heart. Sometimes that anger and that bitterness is towards God. Other times we're selfish and we have pride, and we're intent on living our life the way we want to, rather than the way God is inviting us to. Or maybe we struggle with addiction that is using up our desire to pursue God and creating a false God. Whatever those barriers are, I really invite you to seek a life that is transformed, that is changing from within here and seeking to pursue God with all of who you are so that you can discover that why and your what will make a big impact. Your what will have purpose behind it. I know that Kurt has talked over the last several weeks and and a few months about who we are as a church and where are we going and what are we going to be in our community. And I really feel that if we pursue God like that and we define that why of what it is for each of us, then the what that we do, the actions that we do, the people that we are, will have a significant impact not only in our families and in our church, but everywhere around us. Would you pray with me? Lord God, sometimes it's scary to pursue you because we don't know what we're going to experience. But I pray, Father, that you will lay on our hearts that desire to come after you with all of our heart, our mind, our strength, and our soul so that we can become what you envisioned us and created us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'd like to invite...